attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Greg Blesius. Of course, most of you know him by his other moniker, Ponch. Ponch and I had a great time catching up, telling stories. Ponch is today's guest partially in honor of his Kansas Jayhawks being chosen number one, presumably tonight on the Selection Sunday special for the NCAA tournament. As a longtime Kentucky fan and alumni, it's a tough pill to swallow. Perhaps the only thing that will make it better would be an early exit by the Rock Chalk Jayhawks. The History Podcast National Tour continues. I am currently in Big Sur in California on my way to San Francisco and parts further north the rest of uh, next week. I believe next week's episode is going to come to you from Seattle. I've seen a lot of guys on the road, uh, a lot of really cool memorabilia, camp pieces that I've never seen before, some stuff going way, way back. And as more and more of it gets revealed here on the project, it's going to be awesome. But that's enough of that. Here we go. Ponch Plesius on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. First and foremost, for the record, please state your name and years at camp. Uh, my name is Greg, quote, Ponch Palacios, but everyone knows me just as Ponch. Uh, years at camp is summer of 1980 till current. Haven't missed a summer since. Um, and actually, my transition to camp is very unique because I was never a camper. I got invited by my two close friends closest friends in the world, and they're still my closest friends in the world, Barry and Billy Schwartz. I was friends with them growing up, and I had gone to um, summer camp at Ray Meyer Camp in Three Lakes. They said, well, you should come out for post-camp one year, and that was 19, summer of 1980. So I said, great, and I went up there and fell in love with camp, fell in love with the grounds, and then the next year was my first year as a JC, and... Um, and as the saying goes, I, the rest is history, but I truly fell in love with camp and everything it had to offer, and um, it's been my family ever since. 
Yeah, that's an unusual way in, so you don't have the... Uh... Yeah, it was not traditional because, um, you know, at the time that I started going, you know, when Barry and Billy invited me, I would say, honestly, you'd have to look at something. I'd say close to maybe 60 to 70% of the kids were from Highland Park, probably, Park and Deerfield. Not many were from Wilmette and the one where we grew up. The ones that were, were, were a scattering. It wasn't like a group of kids in that. So I got to meet all these kids that, you know, for Highland Park and, you know, although only being, you know, two suburbs away from each other, it, was, it felt like a whole another world. Sure, it's night and day, before. yeah. And, um, you know, the great part about it is the people I've met, you know, that very first year at post camp and then the next year at camp are all my friends today. Nice. Uh, so you come up that first year, well, how did you know Billy and Barry? Just from the neighborhood, right? This is actually a great story. I met Barry through playing football through the Park District, the Wilmette Park District. We were on the same team together. And I can't believe I'm saying this. This is great for me, bad for Barry. <laughs> um, Barry was the starting running back on the team, and I was the backup. But on defense, I was a starter, so I didn't play offense. The very first game of the year, Barry broke his leg. <laughs> I went in his running back, and needless to say, look where my athletic career went. <laughs> look where his went. So, um, it would be a great after-school special. I'd love to. I'd love to produce that. Sure. See uh, how it goes. But yes, um, that's how, how it all unfolded. So we met uh, in eighth grade. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> That's awesome. So you guys are, are good friends then, and they invite you up to camp. You come to camp. What's the first thing you remember about coming to camp? The grounds, probably. Um, you know, I went to Ray Meyer, which was a very same feel, rustic, North Woods and that, but it didn't have the um, – it was it was an old-time camp. It was just old beat-up cabins and, and a lakefront, and they didn't ask or want to do more with it. And, and that was okay. I didn't mind that. But when I saw the uh, – it's, it'd be ironic for a kid coming, you know, in eighth grade, but going up there and seeing how meticulous the grounds were. Mm. This is before I knew who Pearl was and, and her, you know, her dedication to that. <laughs> I was blown away by the grounds and how beautiful camp was. And it was like, it was truly mesmerizing. And then the second thing I noticed, um, you know, I'd already known Barry's parents, but I met, you know, Denny and Sandy. And, you know, five minutes into it, I was family there. And it, it told me a little bit about who the people at camp are, and then that led into you know meeting you know the, the you know Otto and the staff and, and everybody else up there and Dahmer, and and it was it was incredible how is if you drive up those grounds the minute you cross the sign your family for me that was that's priceless I haven't you know I've taken that to heart ever since yeah definitely so being there in 1980. Um, this is something, and being a little bit older, so you're not camper age, you're, you're old enough to kind of know what's going on. Do you know that camp's going to transition soon at that point? Do people, do people know that? I mean, do you think um, even like as late as 84, is that something people kind of knew about? Or I think in 80, in 80 81, no. I had no clue it because I was just getting my feet wet. Sure. Know, getting to know people, getting to know Al, um, you know, things of that nature. So I, I know I, – I, I learned the history through being up there, but I had no real knowledge of that. It was it was in a phase out to phase in period. Mm. Um, in '84, I did. You know, it was completely different. I was there for three, four years. Now I, you know, 
I really entrenched myself. Um, even in the off season, you know, I was you know friends with Denny and Sandy, obviously Barry and Billy. So, you know, I had a lot more, um, as they would say, inside info to what was going on. Sure. I knew that it was headed towards that path. So, yeah, I, you know, later on I did, but not quite right when I got there. Yeah, I've just always wondered personally, like sort of, you know, if the staff kind of knew what was going on, or if it was really all behind the scenes and just camp went on as normal. I think you'd have to say it was probably behind the scenes unless you were somebody who had been at camp, you know, last 10 or 15 years before that, it was leading up to that. But other than that, I, I don't know if you can. Because I don't think the, Pearl and Al were those type of people, like, you know, talking about their personal thing, what they were going to do in the business side of, you know, uh, camp. So I don't think that was ever in the forefront. Gotcha. You know? And I don't think Mickey and Denny were like that either, so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you go up there as a JC. Uh, what's that JC experience like? Have you ever had any situation where you're caring for kids or anything like that before that? Or oh god, um, well, you know, as luck would have it, or not not luck would have it. The very first cabin I was in was cabin two, and it was great for me. I was a counselor and I was loving you know what I was doing. Except for I had a camper in camp who probably to this day was probably the toughest camper probably ever to walk through the, the halls. I mean, he was a one and done, but for eight weeks, it was as painful as, I mean, it could have, it could have broke most men. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I won't mention his name because that's not fair. You know, he, he had a, um, uh, kind of a psychosomatic, um, kind of side to him and where he had to like listen to headphones and I don't mean just to go to sleep, like to calm himself down. He couldn't, you know, it was probably, you could come combo, all the worst things about, you know, non-athletic, non, you know, social, non, and then you put into one kid, and I figured I weathered that. I could weather any kid after that. Yeah, that's tough. Going from nothing, you know, and first year JC, boom, you got you got a really tough kid. But uh, it was great, and the, everybody there. I, I think one of the things I remember most about being a JC though was because all the people I met up there that were campers like Jason Harris, Andrew Kramer, and all those guys, they helped me along understand camp, the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts, you know what I mean? So, uh, people I was already friendly with before I was up at camp, who I knew up there, and Barry and Billy, and you know what I mean? So I can go on and on and on. So they fast-tracked me, and it was like, it felt like a glove. So it, things went really well, and you know, great support system, and you know, it was awesome. Now, in those days, do the do you JCs still get to play leagues? Oh, yeah. Watermelon champ, I believe, in that. <laughs> so what you're saying is you were a ringer. You were brought in as a ringer. Ah, now the picture's a little well, clearer. And not to mention that the 90 percentile is Jewish, and I'm Catholic, and so they bring in the Serbian kid, and they're like, who's this? And, you know, um, at the time, you know, I was one of the only kids um, who could dunk a basketball on a 10-foot hoop and that. So... Um, you know, that, and I could hit a lake ball, and so, you know, all of a sudden, I got a little street cred, you know, <laughs> like no one knew me. campers didn't know me, know me. Um, that went pretty far, so that was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> Did that, um, you mentioned that, though, that, that's a rarity at camp, I guess. Um, you know, the majority of the kids are Jewish. Is that something that, like, came up? Did you ever feel like, oh, or was it ever noticeable, or was it just like, no, I'm just happened to be a goyim, whatever. <laughs> Uh, Friday night services it did, but yeah. other than that, no. And, that, yeah. and I think that's the thing I can honestly say. For a predominantly Jewish camp over history, 
it never felt like a Jewish camp. It was never right. thrust upon you. It was never shoved down your throat. It was, again, except for Friday night services, which took six minutes. It really <laughs> no one would right. know the difference. And, and, you know, I don't think... In fact, I, I bet nobody felt that way because I don't think that was their thing. I think, you know, again, you know, to go to the theme of Pearl and Al, providing a place for people to have a good time, it wasn't a religious camp. I don't think they ever put that as the focus or, or name that. But they didn't deny it either. You know, and, I, and I respect them for that too. So it's like we are who we are, but we welcome everybody. And I thought that's pretty cool. Because I grew up in a very, like, I guess it would be, if you translate it to Jewish lore, I grew up as probably a con- like a conservative Jewish person in Catholic. I, I would go to church every Saturday and Sunday and sometimes during the week, and my parents were very old-fashioned. So, it's a lot of mass. Yeah, too much. <laughs> and, uh, but then going up there, you know, and again, not being around a lot of that, um, it was great. So I thought it could have been, oh, my God, the other way, and would I feel comfortable? It's like it was never even there. Again, never thrown down my throat. And it was great. Uh, yeah, I was surprised to hear some of the older, older guys tell stories about in the 40s or 50s, like the um, the kitchen staff who were locals would come in and take any kids who wanted to to church on Sunday morning. Any any kids who didn't happen to be Jewish that wanted to go, they'd come in and pick them up, take them with them, go to church, and come back. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. I mean, just thoughtful, and who would think to be part of that? Yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. So you come in, you play the sports, you're being a JC. Uh, what other hijinks? Are you getting into some late night after hours hijinks as a JC? Uh, Possibly. <laughs> it's 1980. Yeah. What's the hot thing to do? Zimpleman's? What's uh, uh, some A&W action? Uh, copper kettle. Oh, okay. When it was the copper kettle. It's already the copper kettle at that point. So it's, yes. it, and it's the village tavern before that? Is that the right? That's when it was big. At the same time, it was that... Um, that was probably our, you know, I didn't do a lot of geos and places like that, but, you know, we would go out there. <laughs> one, one night I remember Barry and I were counselors together, and, mm-hmm. and Kevin Six with Evan Roberts. And, um, he was the SC, we were both the JCs, and the year that we had that, they called it the zoo. And, and for no <laughs> other reason than it probably was the worst year of any camp from a disciplinary standpoint you could have, because you basically had three kids and then 20 more kids. And it didn't help that uh, Barry and I were leading the charge, and Evan, you know, um, you know, was the SC by a year, and uh, just as immature as we were, so it was like <laughs> um, So there was one night, Barry and I had a day off, and we went to town and went out at night, and we're at the bar, and we're hitting on these girls, and Evan walks in. <laughs> oh, that's not and good. Go, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you doing here? He's like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? We're like, well, it's our day off. You get who's in the cabin? <laughs> like, Holy shit. So we all run back to the cabin. This is easily 1231 in the morning. So no one's been in there since lights out. Oh. We get in, and like I said, it was probably the worst cabin of the year. I mean, these kids were, it was, just to give you a reference point of who these kids were, Ricky Michael, Danny Barnett, Seth Marks, John Goodman, <laughs> David Sears. Okay, I can go on and on. The greatest guys, but... Some of the worst camper, I mean, campers, you know, out of control personalities you can have. We get back there about one in the morning, and we go in, and we're like, oh, my God, the camp's going to be on fire. We know it. And we, we're, we're ready to accept our fate, and they are all quiet as church mice, sleeping like babies, not one up. Wow. 
It was seriously the gods looking down on us. We totally were, dodged a bullet. A got fired, and B, God knows what they would have done because they were a terror, and it was fantastic. The one that like no way. So yeah, that was that was one of the you know fun JC nights that we had. <laughs> now in those days, did you stay with the same group of kids and go like cabin to cabin as they as they got a, or got older? No, 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 they didn't. I mean, I went from I think two to six to ten. To, I can't remember, but yeah, it didn't follow the. Time. Gotcha. So you'd always say, sometimes, I mean, I know that we sometimes try to make an effort to do that with certain groups, especially if they really connect well with that yes. group of counselors and stuff. But, uh, so you go, you go out, you're raising some heck as it were, JC ended up. <laughs> and then how long are you in SC? Uh, one year, two years. Um, I was Kevin 10. So I had Mark Levy and Tony Nichols. And then my campers were like Scott Borey, Darren, um, Brian Weinberg. I mean, there's a good group of kids, too. So I I was very lucky. So that's that first year, that one kid. The rest of the kids, I, I you know, they were just great kids. I can honestly say, I can't say there was a whole rash of bad kids. I mean, they were kids, so they did bad things, but they were not bad kids. Right, sure. So, you know, I, I was, I don't know. I was pretty lucky. I got uh, a lot of good kids for a lot of good years. And, and friend, people I'm still friends with, again, all... Even my campers I'm friends with today. And it goes back to a lot of the thread that we've always talked about is what is it you know, about Ojibwa that brings you to this place and continues to, you know, um, you know bring everybody together. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what's the difference for you as a young man now blossoming into an SC? Do you grow up at all? Are you still being the, are you still the immature guy running the cabin? Well. What happens? It's about me losing my virginity. <laughs> well. I can read between the lines, and I get that. <laughs> yes, I lost my virginity up at camp. Excellent. Uh, Who was the lucky boy? <laughs> well played. Um, her name was Anna. She was kitchen staff. Oh, that's very nice. It was not a very memorable... It, it started out so memorable. I was such a stud. It ended so badly. Sure. Um, and how quickly those three seconds can go by. Now, Anna, was that when we had um, more of the college girls? Yes. Not, not the foreign staff, staff necessarily. Across. Sure. We were at the, I will tell you quickly, we were at the Camp Campfire site. A group okay. of us. Hanging out, having a good time. Now, in those days, the stage is already there. Is it already like it is now? Yes. Okay, so it looks basically the same. Okay. Uh, hanging around, having a good time. People start to leave, and, I, and her and I are left, and I say... <laughs> Be an 18 brash myself. Sure. Say, we're either skinny dipping or we're having sex. <laughs> I hope you finessed it just a little more than that. But no, okay, right on. I don't know if I did. Okay. <laughs> so she turns to me and she says, well, the water's too cold. Okay. That's nice. There you go. Game so, on. Needless to say, three seconds later, sure. it's over. <laughs> She berates me for my three seconds. I'm like, berates me. I'm like, oh, my God. You know. So ever since then, it was a bad experience. But a great experience and a bad experience all at once. But yes, I lost my virginity at camp. So nice. It was awesome. Well done. Yes. Um, and have you ever seen her since? Have you ever no. bumped? No. <laughs> I have a few choice words to reflect to. I see. Fair <laughs> enough. That's excellent. But also, too, just uh, becoming an SC, do, do you feel more responsible? Like, Do you get to coach? Do you get to head coach yes. for for the week? Yep. I was, oh, God, here we go. I was head coach for Army. First pick was David Rosen. 
You might have heard of David Arnold. I, yeah, I've run into him once or twice. Yeah, he's got some lineage at camp. Sure. Supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be. One of the best athletes at camp. So pick him first first. Why not? Me and David Rosen, we're going to rule Boom. the world. Who's your, who's your assistant? My assistant was, um, oh, it was uh, Moshe Levy. It's a strong team. It's a strong powerhouse right at the top. Love our team. Yeah. We're ready to go. We're Army. And we picked David first. The very first event, softball. As everybody knows, David's got a little bit of a temper. Hmm. He hits a pop-up to the first baseman, kicks the base, sprains his ankle. He's basically done for the week. <laughs> but here's the best part of the story. It, as bad as it was, goes to the, you know, goes to town, gets his leg wrapped up in that. He, he did, in all credit to David, he fought through every event with a sprained ankle, but we won song, stunt, obstacle, all the majors, and ended up only losing, I believe you'd have to look it up, but I think we were in second place by only losing by like 20 points or something like that. Wow. It was amazing taking your best player out. For sure. That's huge. So um, Rosie really pulled through at the end of it, but uh, yeah, it's never never easy with that man. (laughs) (laughs) Was that your only time to coach? Yes. Excellent. So that's a pretty good run. I mean, you know. I shouldn't say I coached twice. That was Army. I was in Indiana one year with Ted Scherter, and we were horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In those days, did the the counselors – over the years, counselors have been – whether it was a counselor talent show or sometimes counselors got involved in uh, skits and what – was there any of the performance side of things that you got to get involved in? Yeah, I, I was in the play. I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I'd love to get some video on that. That's incredible. So, uh, with the magic hat top, so if you could pull that out, I would really, I would sure. like to see that. I was an Annie um, the next year. Um, I was one of the people who stole Annie, you know, the, the yeah. people who, sure. so. Um, the Wizard of Oz was a great story because, again, as you're forming this friendship, right, these are lifelong friends, so, you know, Barry, Billy, and David, were, you know, probably my closest friends, not just, you know, at camp, but, you know, at home, Barry and Billy were, and then, you know, I got to know, again, David and Rachel, and, you know, like I said, they were family, so, this is a couple of years after I've been at camp, and, and we're doing Wizard of Oz, and Billy's the Tin Man, I'm Dorothy, and David and R- Rosie, I mean, not uh, David and Barry, are winged monkeys, which is great. <laughs> Good role for them. Sure. Comes to the scene where they take Dorothy away in that, and I'm like, all right, guys, don't mess with me. Just take me away normally. And as in rehearsal, they did. So they start taking me away, and they thought they'd have some fun with me. So they started beating the crap out of me <laughs> while they, while, I mean, really hit me. It was very fun. We had a lot of good laughs, but uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Um, I think probably my greatest acting slash athletic moment and I don't know if anybody knows about this you might not even know about this Mm. was the day you know David claims to be a wrestler I don't know if you know that I mean I I know that he likes that sort of thing sure he likes grappling Mm -hmm. and his father likes grappling certainly certainly and they claim to be these great wrestlers so Barry and I in front of the whole camp challenged him on wrestling night to a match Barry and I versus Denny and Rosie wow in front of everybody, <laughs> the mats out. It was a spectacle. Signs were made, costumes were made. Sure. I walked Barry in on a leash. Like a dog. 
<laughs> it was, in all kidding aside, one of the funnest, greatest nights ever. Because, you know, Denny, at that time, the only thing he would participate in, if you remember, was softball. He was a really good softball 16 pitcher. Sure. So he would pitch for a lot of the JCSC games or counselor games and stuff like that. But really, that's the only time you'd see Denny do really anything athletic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, he's, you know the kid, guy's a bulldog. Right. Well, you put him in front of camp with wrestling and his name on the line, <laughs> he is not holding <laughs> so, so, you know, we're, this is... This is WWE to us, right? We're sure, of course. Now I'm assuming weight class wise, it's Barry against Denny and it's you against Rosie. It's tag team. Oh, of course. It's of tag course team. it's tag team. So <laughs> I leave Barry in on a leash and we're, the signs are, again, costumes. It, it is a spectacle. Camp is going crazy. <laughs> Denny's out there wrestling. Sure. Like, what is going on? We got him to, you know. The bell rings. We get about three seconds into it, and Denny is Denny. Lip rips, ball gouges, <laughs> ass pulls, whatever he can pull out. He's beating the shit out of us. Two on one. He even said I haven't done anything yet. He's like, I got this. We're dying. We're, we're, we're laughing and crying at the same time. Seriously, I'm laughing and crying at the same time. I'm so hurt. I'm My balls are swollen. <laughs> And he goes, you want more? You want more? You know how he does, you want more? Oh my God. I, I'm laughing, but crying at the same time. It was one of the greatest nights. It's one of my greatest memories of all of camp because of that reason. Because you saw a, a side of Denny no one really got to see. It was so few and far between where he totally let down his guard. He didn't have to be the owner of camp, you know, the you know, running camp or anything like that. Right. The director. At the time, he wasn't the owner yet. Um it was wonderful. One of my favorite memories. That's amazing. It was great. Very <laughs> day I still talk about this <laughs> What a night. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so you go on your JC, your SC. Now, you, what happens between do you take a t- time off? You said you've kind of been around every summer. So I assume you've been – now, is that primarily post camps then after that or um, – Yeah, 90% post camp. Sure. come up during the year too. So I'd either come up yes. for um, pre-camp, before camp even started. This was way before the um, – Old timers, right? Of course, stuff like that. Um, and then, believe it or not, there was a couple of years that just Barry, Billy, and I went up after post camp. Post camp, it used to be two full weeks back in the day, right? Believe it or not, they even had, I think, a, a third week for like three or four days, which is now like what the second week is. But this year, they had, they had the two weeks of post camp, and Barry and I had been at post camp, or Barry, Billy, and I, and then we went up after that to stay came back and we stayed a long weekend, you know, like a Thursday to Sunday or something like that. And, um, and, and, and Denny was so gracious. He basically gave us the, you know, the keys to camp and said, you know, have fun. And it was such a wonderful weekend because, you know, not many people can experience camp without anybody. And I think if you do, it's one, it's truly has the same magic as it does when everyone's there. That's why I truly know the grounds are special and they're magical because when no one's there, you still have this unbelievable feeling and this pulse of like something special's here. Yeah. No, absolutely. I've and, ha- I've been lucky enough to uh, be up there, you know, a month before anyone else or be there two right, weeks so after everyone else and get am that. I, am I right then? Absolutely. That, like, you still, you drive on the grounds. The only tough thing is you're running around looking for someone else to be like, hey, and then there's no one. And you're like, Chain tree bench, I'm here. <laughs> never, you're also not surprised if you bump into somebody. You're like, right. <laughs> So what we did, which was great, um, this is one of our favorite 
you know, life stories too, is Barry, Billy, and I set up the obstacle course. <laughs> the whole obstacle course. <laughs> so imagine three people trying to set up, like, I think it's, what, 28 different yeah. events or whatever. I mean, the run, the benches, everything. We set it all up, the water baskets, set it, the whole, it, it literally took us, like, seven hours to set the whole thing up. <laughs> and then we videotaped each of us doing the whole thing, which was just a whole lot of fun. you got to remember, this is when the video cameras the size of a car. We, um, you know, we're, you know, met. We run the road, come through the far field, and film it all. Um, and we, it was great. It just we just had so much fun. We do have actually have video of that. So I look forward to that showing up on the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast yeah. website. <laughs> we'll, we'll find it and share. It. That's awesome. It was, and, and what a great thing to take one of your favorite members of camp, which is you know Collegiate Week and the Obstacle Course, and doing it yourself. I mean, again, the fun three people can have. It would be as if 200 people were having the same amount of fun. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome. Um, so I assume that part of your inability to come back to camp is you're at school. Yeah. Now, where did you go to college? Um, I went to Oakton for two years. That's a community college in here. And then I went to the University of Kansas. I see. Um, they're the Jayhawks, mm-hmm. 1988 National Champs. I'm I sorry, see. Go on. I wanted to make sure, like, let's just get it out in the open, <laughs> you know, let the, the, the elephant in the room. So uh, – you went there, you played a little basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that took up a little time. I'm guessing that was uh, probably took up most of your summers yes. anyway. So it was probably difficult even just to get to come have a trip. No, I, would, I, would, I would always find a way to get up there, even for like a weekend or something like that. And it yeah. was great. And it was really cool about it. And I think this is the thing personally, but I think other people would share my view on it is when you come up there, and I know it's cliche, but no time is truly gone. So <laughs> even if new campers had come and some old ones had left, the transition of some knowing you and some not knowing you, it just doesn't matter. You walk out there and you're, Ponch, come on, do this, do this, you know? And and that's how I met, like, kids like Adam Motion, you know? Mm. They were young kids and they started after, and Stu, after I had left, you know, camp, you know, be a counselor. And got to meet them as, you know, my campers were starting to be counselors, like, you know, Darren and people like that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, then I would met, like, you know, as they said, the next gen. So that was like Stu and Adam Motion and those kids. And it was just, it's just, I, I, you can't describe it and you can't explain it, like mm. how it works. It's, I've never been in an environment, and I truly mean environment, meaning like a fraternity, a basketball team that I was on, like at Kansas, um, you know, uh, you know, high school, college, whatever. Nothing's like camp the way it works and the way everybody's welcomed and everyone's like transitioned. And it's just, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, so going, so then going forward, you're coming back for post camp. Um, we get down the road and then you have your own child Yes. and there's a son involved with these. You have two children, but there's, there's one son. And as we know, in an Ojibwa household, that's what's important. <laughs> Love you, Avery. Um, so did he have a choice on where he was going to camp? Yes. And no. <laughs> and, yeah, no be sure. Mm-hmm. He had a choice as if. Camp wasn't an option for him, or overnight camp wasn't an option mm. for him. Uh, you know, look, he went to day camp before he went to, you know, Ojibwa. Um, he was grandfathered into it because of my, me, so I, 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 I'm not going to lie and say there wasn't pressure on him to go to camp. You know, I, I felt the reason there was no kind of final discussion about it is because it wasn't as much what camp was about, more what camp was to me and what I think it could be for him. Mm. Meaning like, 
It wasn't about sports. It wasn't about you know that. It was about the environment of being in a place. And this is what I would tell him. It would be, it's like being in a place where you're watched over by, you know, a hundred and some staff as if they were your own kids. And most camps mm. aren't like that. Like, because you right. have the history there. So when I go, when I go to camp, I'm me and I have Denny and Mickey and everybody and Reva and they're, they're my family. Okay, now, you know, you fast forward 25 years and now it's my son's turn. He goes and, you know, Denny's still there and you're still there and Stu and all these people he's known his whole life. Yep. He's in an environment where they will take care of him as if they were his own son. You just can't get that at any other camp. I mean, you could if you have the lineage, but even if you have the lineage, there's not that guarantee that he'll be taken care of like that. So I think from that perspective, there it wasn't a discussion because if you were going to put your son in the safest environment possible, right, which is your most prized possession, that would be the place you'd want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and guess what? By the way, it just happens to be a fantastic place. <laughs> it happens so, to be the greatest place on earth. Um, absolutely. Yes. No, you make a really good point. I mean, there's a... Um, um, uh, it, as staff in our manuals, there is a, a firm no tipping policy, and and it it comes from a root of um, they don't want parents to tip staff, and then the staff to favor kids who they get tipped for. I agree with that one hundred percent. I totally agree, except that it's just not a thing with us. Like I've gotten a tip here and there, or not gotten a. T- I mean, it's not a, it's not about any of that, but. There's never a kid in there who I'm going to look at differently. It's a community, and it's about the family that we are. I look at them; they're all Ojibwe kids. I'm going to take care of them all because they're Ojibwe kids. You know what? You just said something very true, and it really just made a flashback to me when I was a counselor. And I remember having this issue with one of these with a camper. And there's two ways you can look at counselors, right? Uh, counselors are all not perfect, right? Because they're kids themselves, right? You're 18 years old, and you're still trying to figure out who you are. And guess what? You got to take care of. A 12-year-old, and you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. It's, it's not so easy. Personality-wise, space-wise, you are on top of each other. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you're family, and you figure it out. And I remember having an issue with, with one of my campers, and I was thinking, there's two ways this can go. You can either be the authoritative guy and say, screw you, you're going to do it my way, and I just don't give a shit. You know, that, kind of that big brother thing. Right. It just doesn't matter. The annoying big brother. Right. <laughs> I, I'm the youngest of five boys, so you get the idea. Um, or you could say, look, let's figure out a way to fit you in here somehow, some way. Right? So you don't have to be the kid everybody's, you know, making fun of or yeah. that. And, and I took that route. And once I realized that's really the keys to the kingdom of being a good counselor is saying, instead of separating... You know, the Jets and the Sharks, right? The cool kids and the not cool kids. Right. Let's find a way to get them all to get along because they all have something. They all just bring something special to the cabin. So this one kid had an unbelievable music collection. So what I did is, you know, but he always listened with his headphones and, you know, people wouldn't, you know, know this about him, you know, and he wouldn't talk about it. And he's kind of quiet and, you know, just didn't get along with one. So I would take his music and I would crank it on my radio and I would be like, oh yeah, I love this song. And it was stuff that people hadn't heard yet. You know, he was kind of like a cutting edge. I was like, wow, you know, I really dig this kid for his, you know, kind of music thing. It had nothing to do with the camp or sports or anything. So as I'd play this music, the kids would be like, oh, that's pretty cool. And like, then I would, you know, oh, that's so-and-so. And, you know, and, um, and they'd be like, you know, then all of a sudden he had this in of being the music man. Yeah. Dude, crank some tunes at night, you know, whatever. And, 
you know, after two weeks of camp, he he was the man, and everyone liked him. That's him. awesome. Him, and it's because they didn't understand him fully. And so you're right. Like when you're in, you're in. Your family. Let's figure out a way to make it work. And I think that comes from the top down. Though I I have I've seen on many occasions, starting with Alan Pearl to Mickey and Denny. You know, from my time there, you know, never shun a kid, no matter how bad. They, their theory was figure out a way to make it work. And they usually do. 99% of the time, I think they did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, going top down, like you said, I think it also goes to staff. Like nowadays, we hire one new staff a year. I mean, we have so many JCs that come back and we just have such a great return rate on that stuff. But in my day, it was still, we were hiring a lot of college guys. We were hiring a lot of foreign staff for the waterfront. So you would have... 20 or 30 guys who hadn't been there before or 15 guys this summer who hadn't been there before. And you're going to get some guys who are assholes who are just coming to be like, I'm getting a paycheck. I don't care about the kids. I'm going to be drunk every day. And, and it happened with them too. Like, okay, we could just be like, okay, asshole, don't talk to the kids. Just go over there and do your thing. Or you figure out how to include them and how to be a part of the family. And that's what the head staff does. And the head staff steps in and does that and kind of creates that melting pot of getting us all together. And next thing you know, everybody's everybody's brother and, and, a drama kid from the University of Kentucky gets accepted and suddenly he's an Ojibwe guy too. Like it all is part of it. You were probably one of the, not because you have the lineage, but one of the greatest success stories because of that. You know, it's not even that. There were, there were guys there, you know, when the old days, when, the old days when I was there, mm-hmm. you know, young as a young kid, they were, a lot of the counselors were even athletes. There was a guy who actually played for the Bears. His name was D. Kent. I don't know if you remember talking about him yet. He played at Wisconsin lacrosse. He was a tight end, you know. But he just wasn't very friendly and didn't get along well with others. And he was, you know, cocky athlete. But you think you put a stud like that in a camp of these kids, they'd be, oh, my God. And in some regards, they were like, oh, my God, this kid's, you know, this guy's amazing. He's a stud, you know, 6'4", 240. But believe it or not, I always say the system polices itself very, very well. Mm. Meaning... It's very rare that you'll have to see an actual decision being made, like you said, right? Denny has to come down and truly kick somebody out of camp. And I remember even with Deke, you know, it's just, people just got, you know, he learned to get along with others and others learned to get, you know, and it's just weird how polices itself, even campers, if you notice, you know, you have the alpha males in all the cabins, right? In fact, there's almost, sometimes there's half the cabins alpha males. Sure. And it's the way that one guy steps up for everybody and says, hey, we all got to get along. It's amazing to see a 12, 13-year-old kid say that. And it is truly like an after-school special, right? It really is. Like, Absolutely. Oh, my God. You're right. We, we have to get along and you know, cue the credits. But it's so true. And, and, and again, as we list these kind of enigmas about camp of what makes it so special, those are one of them. Of, of one of them that you just mentioned is how it polices itself and how it everybody kind of finds a way to fit in. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, you'll find a way not to, but it won't be because you got kicked out. It's just because it's not for you. It won't be because you didn't get a chance. Let me put it that way. Right. I think everybody really does get a fair shot. Meaning, you know, you, you, as an outsider, you're an outsider. Everybody comes in, you know, that's not that real initial core, and they're accepted the same way. And that, you know, you can't put a price tag on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. You really hit it. I mean, I've been 14 for several years now, and those guys, by the time they get to us, they know their quirks. They know the guys who have a harder time, like on a day to day, being cool with everyone else and stuff. And they just take care of themselves. Like they don't need us to come tell them how to do it. They they don't even need us to teach them how to do it anymore. By that point, by that point, we're teaching them all kinds of other stuff because that group dynamic and sort of accepting one another and knowing that they're a family no matter what. Even the guy who 
if there's a guy in the cabin who's a jerk and everyone knows he's a jerk and he doesn't stop being a jerk, they know it. So yeah. Making it an elf in the room. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's cool. And I think that's the one thing that I think if, if every kid could go to overnight camp, I would want for that reason. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have to learn and grow up on the fly like that, you you know, most kids don't learn that until they get to college, right? Because that's the last time, the first time they're going to be sleeping with somebody in a dorm environment you know, having to share things like a bathroom. And, you know, when you do that for eight weeks, for, you know, eight summers, you grow up really knowing how to solve some problems. And and I would, and I would bet being in 14 and seeing the kids go from, you know, whether it be 2 to 14 or, or 6 to 14 or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, the growth of these kids and, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. And I remember, I think you were telling me a story, and I had heard wind of it, was that last year, the year before, that there was some... European staff that kind of, you know, staged a coup or something like that. Mm. And and the kids from 14 stepped in and, you know, I, I, think, I think it was you that said you couldn't have been more proud of how they stepped up. Absolutely. And they were true men. And they, you know, so... Some and, kitchen and, staff got, some kitchen staff guys basically walked out on the job and we were super shorthanded with 10 days of camp to go. And without asking, basically 14 and 13 to some degree stepped up and said, we got this. We're in. And it wasn't a, oh, we'll do this in two days from now. We're drag- going to drag them out of bed. No, they showed up early every time, did their job. Like, it was incredible. And that, that's exactly that. It's that maturity. It's that growth. But it's also the system, wouldn't you say? Yeah. When you see a system like, you know, we talk about you know, Kansas, right? They're good every year because of the system. Okay. Interesting theory. <laughs> It's the system, right? Yes, absolutely. New England Patriots. Once you build the system, you can't truly be interchangeable with the people because the system won't change. It, the, the people who, who are the head aren't going to let the system mm. change. We've built this, and, and I truly think there is a kind of a silent governing body that says, no, this isn't changing on our watch. Mm. We've, we've had it for 100 years this way. It's not changing. And I think that to go to refer back to what I told my son, right, about coming to camp and that, it's that same type of theory. It's like I'm putting you in an environment where I know you were going to be the, come out of the, the best possible person you can be because of that system. Yeah. I was going to ask you more about um, with Brett, just like what's that like to having your own experience at camp and now having the, the pleasure of – Sending your, I mean, he came to post camp from birth on, yeah, basically. So he's, he'd already seen and, and taken part in stuff, but camp grounds in that. There was no selling amount. He he still goes up today and he loves it. And, yeah, you know. But putting but, him on that bus the first time is a whole different feeling, I'm well, sure. It wasn't as hard. I'll tell you why. Because we, we did prep camp together, which mm. is an incredible. You know, they didn't again didn't have that when I was there. Not that right. I needed it, but I mean, for families, right? What better way? Or I'm sorry, forget. I'm in father son. You know, you go up with your son for four or five days and you experience camp like that with your son. I mean, what to this day, it's probably his still his best memory at camp were the father-son moments. So it says a little something about what they take out of it as well as a parent would take out of that weekend. And you go to prep camp. So the stages of weaning a kid into overnight camp, I think, are, are so much better than today. You know, in the old days, and I mean way before me, right? They used to put on a train, eight years old, <laughs> seven years old. See you in eight weeks. <laughs> I mean, talk about growing up on the fly. You know? Yeah, you couldn't call camp. You couldn't, I mean, a letter, maybe a letter. Maybe, if you're lucky. <laughs> but, you know, so, but I, I will tell you that, that in, in fairness, Brett has struggled a little bit with it because, 
You know, my legacy at camp, although not a camper, but I do have 30 plus years of that camp. And, and I mean more than just showing up. I've done a lot for camp. I've been a big part of camp, not just from the day to day, but behind the scenes and, and stuff. So I have a lot of history at camp, a lot of history with, you know, campers and ex-counselors. And you know what I mean? So, sure. you know, I think part of it, he does feel a little bit of pressure of, you know, kind of living up to, because he's not me. And I don't mean that in any bad way. I, I love him for who he is. And I hope that he figures out that I only want him to be the best him he can be. I think he puts pressure on himself about, you know, what camp means to him mm. and what it means to him and what he thinks it means for me to see him at camp when I just want him to be happy. It's not, he doesn't have to hit a lake ball for me to, he's my son. You know, right, right, absolutely. So it's, it's a little bit different. But yes, I don't think any parent can have any more joy than to see their kids experience the great things that they've experienced, whether it be, you know, a, a college, a camp, or, you know, something like this. So, yes, it makes me incredibly happy that he likes camp. We touched on post-camp. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the post-camp experience. I mean, it's my favorite, and I, I sort of run it now. I mean, I love post-camp, and it is a whole the different world. It is your show. Thank I'm you. Not it's on the record officially. Don't sugarcoat it. This is <laughs> post-camp is your show. Um, again, my first summer, 1980 came up and it was me, Barry, Billy, Susan, Julie, Margie, Nancy, the cousins, sure. the Weinbergs, which are just wonderful. Again, that whole family, wonderful people. Again, took me under their wing, you know what I mean, as, as a friend. And again, I'm friends with all four of those girls today, very much so. In fact, Julie's husband stood up at my wedding. I mean, so he's, you know, yeah. Greeny, Nancy's husband is one of my closest friends. He stood up at my wedding. So again, that just shows you the growth of, of, and closeness of. Yeah, for sure. So getting up there, we were like the core. And then, you know, we had the Kramers were there, you know, Laura and Andrew and the Glicks, Wendy and her family. I mean, just the nicest families that are still going up today. And so, you know, there's different views, right? As an 18 year old kid having, you know, the grounds, like we said, of camp, and now you can do whatever you want all day, you know, for a week straight. <laughs> it's really mind-boggling. Right. And then guess what? They periodically feed you seven times, <laughs> which is unbelievable. So from that perspective. But as an adult now, having my own kids go and have them enjoy post-camp as much as they do, I've realized what it is from a parent's perspective. And this is what I tell everyone. If I'm going to sell somebody on post-camp, this is what I say to them. This is my pitch. You can quote me on this one. Use it for the brochure. <laughs> Where can you take your family on vacation, give them 40, 50 acres to play with, and not have to watch them at 10 o'clock at night next to a lake? Honestly. That's true. I, we, when Brett and Avery started going, they were four, three or four years old. 10 o'clock snack, we were there having a good time. Avery's out with her flashlight walking the woods with her girlfriend, you know what I mean, like with her friends. Right. Who are all within the three, four, five, six, seven-year-old, and not one parent was worried, where are my kids? You can't do that in Mexico. You can't do that in Hawaii. You can't do that in any other vacation place, the, you know, the Ozarks, whatever. Right. You can't do that. Now, now you add on there the communal living part, Right. I will watch your son or daughter as if they were my own. So if I'm going to play tennis and my kids are at the waterfront and they're too close to the water because they you know, are little, like Brett and Avery were, oh, wait, come here, Brett, come here. It's not annoyance like 
How come someone's not watching these kids? It's like you come down there the same route. Same thing you said about camp. The minute you walk in there, you're family. You come to post camp, you're family. Need a little help? We'll watch your kids. You want to go play tennis? Go. I mean, it's just you cannot put a price tag on that. Yeah. It is unmatched. It is unmatched to any other vacation you can experience as a family. Mm. Because if you go to those places, right, the Mexico, Hawaii, you know, Europe, whatever, you won't have the closest of other families. You won't have the ability to let your kids roam free, nor would you want them to because for security reasons. You wouldn't have the family, what I call bonding. You can go to museums that, as a family, and that's a nice family trip. What family vacations can you honestly say you do a talent show with? Right? <laughs> right. You're up until all hours of the night as a family playing games in the mess hall with 40 other families. Mm -hmm. And just joining other games. You know, Cards of Humanity, we play our card game, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you go back to the cabins and they're doing whatever, and, you know, it's just... I, I honestly think that, and I truly believe this, the re some of the reason why I think post-camp has not grown is because I don't think until you experience, you can truly appreciate it. So you can sell somebody on that. Like, I can give you my pitch. And you can be excited about it. But until you feel it, it's like you said about your experience post-camp. Six hours into it, you were sold. If people could come up like that, I think you'd have a waiting list to get into post-camp. Yeah. Post I really do. Because that's right. As soon as someone comes, new families come, and they're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I had no idea this was what this is. And you're like, yeah. And then it's they stay. Because 90% of the families that come from week one and week two of post-camp are ex-campers. So you think to sell would be pretty easy. Mm -hmm. But I still think post-camp's a different sell than camp. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, experience it. I think to truly understand it. And I think it's what's, what I love about it is that that – you have families who have been going, like the Kramers, right, for 40-plus years. And right now, in the middle of February, they are writing their script for whatever their <laughs> thing is going to be for post-camp. All joking aside, that's pretty wonderful that they care enough about camp to put together whatever they're going to do that's going to take, you know, some production and some writing. And I think that says a lot about what camp has provided an environment and the families that go there and, and the fact they feel comfortable with and they would go out of their way to do something. That's yeah, fun. absolutely. I mean, we just had a card game with in Dave Share and Chlorphene and Lauren right. Kramer and we're all post-camp guys and like we played cards, but we were just getting together. Like right. no, it didn't matter that we were playing cards. That was just the vehicle. Yes. It was just us to get a, have a chance to get yes. together. It was incredible. Right. That's it. Closing this up. Um, there's a couple of things I always ask everyone toward the end. So two big questions. Number one, you're a grown up now. You have your own kids life, all those things. How would you say camp has affected your life? It probably has been the, all kidding aside, the single most influential thing in my life. For different reasons, for different, you know, from different people for different reasons. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm the youngest of five boys, all athletes, so, you know, I already had that kind of competitiveness built into me and all that kind of stuff. But, Surprisingly enough, I don't come from a very close family, believe it or not. You know, although five boys, you'd think, oh, my God, great. It, it wasn't – there's a 14-year difference between me and my eldest brother, so I'm not very close to any of my brothers. No ill will, just I'm not very close. With sure. Them. So when I got to camp being a young kid and, you know, Barry and Billy are my brothers, truly are my brothers, and, and have on many different occasions, which I don't need to go into detail, have stepped up and done more than a brother would you'd ask a brother to do. Hmm. But, you know, 
Mickey and Riva are, are truly like a mother and father. I mean, Dan, Denny and Sandy have been incredible. Um, you know, uh, quick story, you know, the, the day my father passed away, the very first call I got, believe it or not, was from Denny. And, and his only message was, um, you know, obviously, I'm sorry for your loss, but what can I do? I think that encapsulates, um, you know, Denny and Sandy in a nutshell. What can I do? They, they'll do anything for you. Mickey and Reeve will do anything for you. Alan Pearl will like that too. And so for me, um, the, the family that, that they've shared with me, their families that you know, they've shared with me have been, you know, I can't even describe sometimes in words what it means to me and what camp means to me. It's been wonderful. It's been great. Awesome. Tell me one great camp story. I told you seven already, but if you want me to keep pulling, um, I, I'll, I feel comfortable with you. I'll be open with you. Oh, boy. We're in the zoo, Barry and I. We've both been <laughs> with the same kitchen staff girl throughout the summer. Nice. That's, that's all I'm going to say. She's a, a hot eclarian, if you will. I see. Nice. Um... And it was the last night at camp, and Barry goes down to the waterfront to say goodbye to her. He spends his time with her, and then comes back in the cabin and wakes me up. He goes, Marsha wants to say goodbye to you. I'm like, if you're fucking kidding me, I'm going to kill you. Needless to say, the whole camp up, and they're like, punch, 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 punch. <laughs> so I went down to the point, sat on the bench with Marsha, we had a very nice time together. Sure. So I, technically, I can say that was the the only time, best time that Barry and I <laughs> theoretically had a two on one. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. Nice. <laughs> that's incredible. I think that's perfect. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. I really I appreciate, appreciate you it. having me. And, yeah. Uh, camp's a wonderful place, and just uh, hope it keeps going for another hundred years. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Some great stories with Ponch. I'm glad he loves those Kansas Jayhawks. I know there's a few Jayhawks fans listening out there. And listen, I hope you guys have a great run in the tournament. I just hope it ends up a lot like 2012 when a certain Kentucky team beat the Jayhawks in the national championship game, as I recall. I think that's how that season wrapped up. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Send me an email, Christopher at campojibwahistory.org or just stop by the website www.campojibwahistory.org I'm heading north up the coast of California if any of you guys are out there and you're dying to get interviewed San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Missoula drop me an email and let me know I'll stop by we'll put some of this stuff on tape it's been a great time I'm getting a little sun Lucille is loving the mountains she was not loving the Hollywood Hills, though. Definitely not made for someone with her wheelbase. That's it for this week. It's a beautiful day in these mountains. I'm about to go out and get my Jack Kerouac on. <laughs>